radical left has taken over the Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 46, recorded on Saturday, August 28th from Milwaukee. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And on today's episode, we discuss the recently released census data and what that tells us about the upcoming redistricting battles across the country. But first, the headlines. The fact is that everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. Up first in headlines, tragedy struck the Kabul airport as bombings killed at least 13 U.S. service members and over 60 Afghans and left over 140 wounded. This was not conducted by the Taliban. This was actually done by ISIS-K, who the Taliban also do not like. They have been fighting with the Taliban for the last couple of years. They were formed around 2015 as an offshoot of ISIS in Central Asia and Afghanistan. So yes, this, this was a suicide bombing that seems to be be mostly what they've been carrying out. They're very extreme, very violent. They oppose Taliban rule because they believe that only Allah can rule. Correct. And there have been rumors of potential attacks on the Kabul airport for some time now. Both the Taliban and the U.S. military were aware of it. Unfortunately, it was just unpreventable. Um, there was a really good, I don't know if you heard this one, Jason, but there was a really good New York Times daily podcast about this where they actually had a reporter on the ground near Kabul airport and the way he described it was the way the checkpoints are set up it's meant to actually block car bombings and so it's like these big concrete or stone walls and just it's meant to just avoid any type of car coming in crashing it and then or even just exploding and trying to take something down and take people within it out which is good however it becomes almost like a death trap for someone who gets into the checkpoint and then lets a bomb go off from within those vicinities and the u.s has launched drone strikes in retaliation, apparently targeting a member of ISIS-K. Mm-hmm. Not a top member from the initial reports. We don't know who it is yet, but someone who was a coordinator for the group. Well, did you hear Biden's remarks about it? I mean, he was pretty vengeful in his rhetoric. Yeah, this could potentially be a launch pad for people that want to continue hostilities in Afghanistan. I, I hope that's not what happens. It's certainly something that could be abused in that way but again this was not the taliban they don't want to attack u.s forces right now because all that would mean is a delay in their inevitable takeover of the country which is what they want so hopefully we just continue our plans to leave the country in three days and that's apparently what president biden has uh, committed to and has restated that he would stick to but i believe there was was a caveat of well we may need to push back that date there was until the bombing happened and then this is basically the final nail in the coffin where no he chose that people are just going to get out and that's it it just shows that the last 20 years accomplished nothing correct there was no isis before the afghanistan war began so what did we accomplish there well and then to have this all cap off again it wasn't at the sake of the taliban but still having u.s soldiers die on afghan soil i think for the first time since early 2020 is a very bad way of trying to end this whole 20-year war but afghan citizens of course continue to share the majority of 
of the deaths, as you said, over 60. And over 140 wounded, too. Yeah, and that's the reality of the situation is, yes, the headlines focus on the American service member deaths, which certainly tragic, no reason to be there. But ultimately, the people that bear the largest burden are the Afghan people, which is the main reason why we shouldn't be there at all. Well, and this also goes to what we were talking about before, where it's a big reason why Joe Biden said we're not extending any deadline. We're just going to get our stuff and get out as soon as possible. And hopefully get out as many refugees. and Right. But now that's now capped. Whoever we don't get out or whoever we don't bring out with us, they're stuck there. They're done. They have to now just deal with Taliban rule no matter what's happening. And these are, you know, again, there's so much more rhetoric around like, are these terrorists coming into our country? Are these, you know, who are these people? It's families. It's children that we're taking in right now that we're evacuating from these hostile areas. So like, be aware that these are actual like families and children who are going to be stuck under Taliban rule. These are women who are going to be abused under Taliban rule because of, you know, how we're actually getting out of this the way we are. And these are people with these special visas that were supposed to allow them correct a pass to come to America from Afghanistan. So it's something that's already was established ahead of time. But of course, according to the reactionary right, they are all terrorists being brought in by the Democrats to vote for Joe Biden in 2024. Or whatever conspiracy theory they can think of. Next up, another depressing headline. The United States Supreme Court on Thursday ended the eviction moratorium that was set in place by the CDC due to the pandemic. Something that was known for a while that would probably happen because a lot of people questioned whether or not the CDC had that authority and Congress should have actually created legislation to put this in place. Of course, it wouldn't have passed because of the filibuster. And crazy people. Which we need to get rid of. But the eviction moratorium was set to run until October 3rd and it is now no longer in place. And there are over 30 million Americans that are at threat of homelessness right now because of this during a pandemic. Which I, is, I mean, this saves like countless lives during the pandemic when you had people who literally could not work and they had to take care of their families and needed literally a place to live where this literally kept a roof over their heads. Yeah, and this went right along conservative and liberal lines for the Supreme Court 6-3 to three vote. It's exactly who you would have thought would be in favor of it, voted for it. Exactly who you thought would be against it, voted against it. Mm-hmm. Once again, showing that the stolen Supreme Court seat by the Republican Party will continue to be a bane of the American people for a generation to come. Yep, And that's why Justice Breyer also needs to step down and let him be replaced by President Biden and not wait until potentially the uh, Democrats don't have control of the House or Senate anymore. And you know if that happens, they're going to refuse to vote on anyone that Biden puts forward. They've shown that they don't care about the law or the Constitution. Or precedent, just they generally. only care about their own power. Correct. We also should not expect any actual action from the Biden administration, but they did urge local governments and state governments to propose their own type of legislation to put this stuff back in place after the unfavorable ruling. I don't see that happening, though, because most local and state governments are probably Republican controlled. 
or even if they're Democrat controlled, they're going to be swayed by the donors, which in this case are going to be the landlords, the people that own these uh, large the big housing units. Yeah. yeah, that that they're the ones collecting this rent. So there's no one. So then no one's going to listen to people that are living paycheck to paycheck that can't afford their rent. What does a politician care about them for? They're not going to donate to their campaign, and that's the problem. Again, another horrible Supreme Court decision from years ago. Money is speech. Up next, let's talk about COVID. Maybe some good news, right? Sure. All right, let's do it. Well, in good news, maybe you probably have already heard that Pfizer's COVID vaccine got the full approval of the FDA recently. So that means that everyone who kept saying they weren't going to get vaccinated because it wasn't fully approved, it was only under emergency use authorization, they're all going to get vaccinated, right? They This is going to be the thing that uh, shows them that it's safe and effective? Uh, No. No? No. No. Sorry. Oh, so they're actually all just hypocrites that were using that. Well, as an let's excuse. let's talk about this because that was the main argument where we had so many people who were, and I don't know about you, Jason, but I had lots of friends and family who were actually vaccine hesitant, saying that they were not going to get it until they actually got the full approval of the FDA. Now I'm seeing those exact same people, among many many others, who are now saying, "Well, the FDA approval doesn't mean anything." If you listen really carefully in the background, you might actually be able to hear the goalposts being moved. <laughs> Just the scraping on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I even had someone say that the FDA approval means absolutely nothing because the FDA once approved of Twinkies. What? Yep, that's the argument. Twinkies aren't like poisonous though, right? Like you can eat them and you'll be fine. So that that argument is ridiculous on a whole bunch of different levels. But that persuaded that one person. <laughs> I and mean, there are several others too. There's a bunch of medications that you could use that were approved but turned out to be unsafe. That would have been a much better if you're going to go that way. But Twinkies? Well, and let... Right. (laughs) Well, and let's talk a little bit about the misinformation around this FDA approval, where a lot of people are now saying that the FDA approval was rushed. No, it wasn't. was not. In fact, the FDA was getting significant amounts of pressure because of how long their process was taking compared to other countries around the world. They prioritize the approval process because we're in a global pandemic and this is a vaccination to prevent prevent infection even then you had other countries in europe who fully approved of of the covid vaccines where the fda just kind of held to their guns and said no we're not going to do it yet we're going to keep waiting for more trials to come out and you had people in european medical community saying what are you waiting for if you don't do this people aren't going to take it so they were getting backlash because they weren't going fast enough in their approval and i also heard some pretty good criticism and i don't know i'm not an actual like you know medical expert in any type of means what right no kidding but i did like this idea that was proposed which was I don't like the approved or not approved rating scale that we have here for the FDA. We're having much more of like a spectrum based rating scale where, like, yeah, like this is, you know, with a 99% certainty, you're going to be totally fine, or a 98% certainty, you're going to be totally fine versus just approved. Because at least it gives people a little bit more. Do that, though? Isn't that really like speculation? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I understand that there's many limitations to it, but just the idea of when people talk about approval with the FDA, they don't know what that means. And I think when you have people who are now skeptical of these institutions that we have in this country, they're immediately going to any type of con- 
conspiratorial thinking, which is, well, who paid them to get the approval? (laughs) Which, honestly, the FDA approval process is very expensive. It's super expensive. Do these studies and everything. That's one of the reasons why a lot of the the smaller drug manufacturers, whenever they do develop a drug, they end up selling it to a much larger drug company because they are not going to be able to afford the approval, which is a whole other other topic that we could get into about the state of pharmaceutical industry in the United States, but not relevant really when you're talking about this vaccine that was developed by the largest drug manufacturers in the world because of the fact that it was a huge global pandemic and they knew they could make a ton of money if they were to come up with a vaccine. Well, and also, isn't that fascinating? The same people who also pride themselves in pushing the free market, saying that unfettered capitalism will push us in the next you know steps forward always. It'll push for innovation and push for the next great thing. And then the second it comes out, they're skeptical. I just yeah, This is the free market, right? The, if the vaccine is effective, you'll make more money. But most people are not going to the vaccine, unfortunately. And although it's not super great, amazing news with how people are accepting the vaccine, recent surveys have shown that people actually are slowly getting the vaccine now that it has been FDA approved, especially among vaccine hesitant communities. Like, the rise of the Delta variant and the increase in infections correct. probably has something to do with that as well. Well, and we should maybe also talk about differing between the vaccine hesitant communities versus the actual like vaccine denier communities. Because when we think of people who are not getting the vaccine, we think of like the stupid people like we were talking about, like, well, I'm not going to get because the FDA approved of Twinkies once long ago, like the really stupid arguments that we hear. Um, like there was also several different like anti-vaccine and mask protests, I think like in Texas and New York with tons of crazy, stupid people. The same people that feel like autism is caused by well, correct the MMR vaccine. But we also have a large portion of the people in this country who just do not understand how vaccines work and they're just generally scared. They're hesitant. That's the idea. They're vaccine hesitant. And where they'll say they'll, they'll get it eventually, they they just don't know when and they're kind of seeing how it goes. Those people are getting the vaccine now, which is good. I mean, I don't know how much more of a example you're waiting for. There are billions of people that have been vaccinated at this point. Well, I think at we're least starting, over a billion. Yeah, I think we're starting to now fight against just general forgetfulness and laziness that most people are where just, yeah, I mean, you're kind of past the point where it was in the eye of most people where, it's, yeah, I've got my vaccine shot. You should get yours too. And just having it so readily available to everyone. I mean, it still is, but just at not, least in most of the United States. Right. But just not having it as shoved in our faces as much as it used to be. Well, that's where I feel the government has been lax is marketing. It's stupid that it needs to be this big marketing push to get people to save their own lives and save the lives of their families. But that's where we're at. Well, even now with in Wisconsin, we have the $100 gift card prices people are getting if they get their first dose i think it should be just constant blitz on tv radio newspaper everywhere people can possibly go buy ads have people talk about how they got the vaccine six eight months ago now and they suffered no ill effects beyond maybe a day of cold symptoms and that they don't have covid well and i heard some discussions i liked as well where the biden administration or local government administrations should 
would do the same thing that the Biden campaign did with Trump voters, where they said, well, I was a Trump voter in 2016, but then I realized how the bad things were. So now I'm voting for Biden. And then you do kind of the same thing again with the vaccines where it's like, yeah, I was pretty scared of the vaccine, but now I got it and I'm just fine. You should get it too. Yeah, everything. Throw everything at it. Uh, anything you can to get people to realize that it's safe and effective. Those should be the two main talking points. It's safe. Don't listen to like the people that are blatantly pushing misinformation, which I think we're about to get into. I was just going to say. Are very effective at those scare tactics and, and saying crazy things that are just not true about all oh, the number of deaths caused by the vaccine, which are literally like, oh, an 89 year old person got the vaccine and they died three months later. And they're counting that as like a vaccine death instead of just somebody who was old and died of natural causes. Right. Well, they got the vaccine before they died. So we're counting that one of those main people being Ron Johnson, by the way. <sighs> senator from wisconsin hopefully for about another year well let's talk about people not listening to the fda so instead of getting the vaccine people are turning to another treatment just like the hydroxychloroquine we have a new alternative drug that people are clinging to instead of getting the vaccine ivermectin now this is a an actual medicine it's an anti-parasitic drug. well i mean in, hydro- in hydroxychloroquine it also is an actual medicine right that is a <laughs> uh, anti-malarial drug yes and ivermectin is an anti-parasitic yes it has been used extensively in south america to treat covid patients but the data coming out of those treatments is not that promising no it's showing that it's at best as good as a placebo so the reason why it was being used in south america and i believe some in africa is because as we talked about last week the treatments that have been shown to be very effective in critical cases of COVID infection, the monoclonal antibodies, those are very expensive and they're not readily available in those areas. So they're using ivermectin, which did have some small pilot studies that we'll talk about that showed there might be some potential promise. But as it's being used more and more and more studies are coming out, the data is not looking that good. But it's something that they have available and that they can use. And the problem is this is now being pushed by all of the people that have been against the vaccines for whatever reason. Well, I mean, Ron Johnson went from hydroxychloroquine to ivermectin now. Yep. And recently, Fox News hosts Laura Ingraham, Sean Hannity, and Tucker Carlson have all pushed ivermectin, as well as even left-wing populist clown Jimmy Dore and free speech grifter Brett Weinstein, who, as we all know, all of those people are reliable medical experts. Well, and Brett Weinstein seems kind of the weird one right where he actually has a doctorate not in medicine no it's a in biology now granted that's somewhat related but not in medicine and not in epidemiology and not in virology right evolutionary biology is not the same thing as a medical degree correct which what do we do about that how do we tell people that specialization matters well they don't nobody care if you're listening to brett weinstein for medical advice you're you're a edgelord chud you're not gonna care that it's like well brett weinstein doesn't actually know what he's talking about really about anything honestly except for how to get to his patreon and give him money (laughs) but and that's that's all he's built his 
career on now in the last couple of years from being a free speech grifter. So, of course, he's going to come up with an alternative to the the mainstream. That's all this. It's conspiracy. Yes. And that's what this is. The, that's the thing that connects all of these people because you have people on the I would say Brett Weinstein is on the left. Jimmy Dore is generally on the left, even though they are trying to embrace these right wing conspiracies. That's the thing. It's conspiracy. They are trying to grab this audience that is trying to reject everything that authority and the mainstream is trying, the things they don't want you to know. It's that same garbage. Joseph Mercola is one of the people pushing this. One of the biggest medical quack conspiracy pushers of the last 20 years. And people on both sides are lining up underneath and and pushing this. And I thought medical conspiracies honestly used to be more of a left wing issue we used to think of it like that, right then a right wing issue right but now because of donald trump really it's what's pushed this you know inject bleach inject sunlight or, to or try just, to cure it's, it. it's just you know raising a middle finger to experts that's all it is yeah but we even talked about um you showed me like right before the show like local doctor um dr pure as a pierre cory in milwaukee worked at st luke's the largest and most well thought of hospital in the state of wisconsin Wisconsin. And he's pushing ivermectin. Yeah, he is the president and co-founder of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance, which is just a huge group of physicians who have bought into this nonsense and are pushing ivermectin. So that's someone who does have a medical degree and is still a quack when it comes to this. I, the thing is, and I've, I've seen this, like, there's two issues with ivermectin. And the first one being... The ivermectin that people are rushing out to go buy and that the poison control centers and the medical experts in all of these communities are trying to tell people. Yeah, the FDA literally had to put out a tweet saying, you're not a cow, you're not a horse, stop buying ivermectin. Like, that's a real tweet our FDA had to say. Right, because when they mean by go buy ivermectin, you're obviously not buying it at the pharmacy. You can only get it via prescription. And no reasonable, educated medical professional is going to write you a prescription for ivermectin to prevent or treat covid well it's it's not it's not been demonstrated to treat that so what you're talking about is people going to livestock stores yes and tractor supply stores and buying livestock ivermectin which is used in cows and horses to treat parasites to treat worms that's what people are using obviously the dosage is not right just the the way medication is manufactured for humans or for animals is just different you're allowed certain things that you can have in animal medications that you can't have in human medication our biology is obviously different brett weinstein should be able to tell you that i don't want anyone trying to make fun of younger generations for the tide pod challenge anymore <laughs> old people like literally yeah walmarts and and all of these places are selling out of ivermectin like these uh like i don't know farm and fleet here would be a place like that i don't know nationally what the uh, livestock supply stores are. But But I even have an article from the NBC News here about Oklahoma stores selling out of ivermectin from these types of places like Tractor Supply and Walmart because people are just going crazy with this stuff. So when people are talking about, yeah, I mean, ivermectin's kind of like just a whatever thing. You know, it's not really. Yeah, of course it's crazy. No, people are literally going out and buying this stuff. 70% 
of the calls into poison control in Mississippi over the last couple of weeks have been for ivermectin poisoning. And because it, it does cause cramping and like GI distress at the very least, and then up into including death because of people are overdosing on this stuff. That's not even been shown to be effective. There's people are siding, and you'll see this online, and Jimmy Dore doubled down and tried to use this as evidence. Oh, and he's an idiot too. Yes, he's like all of these people he's the the least yeah he's the lowest of the low educated and someone that he doesn't have the the same mechanisms like fox news they can go they have medical experts on staff they could talk to jimmy Dore's just a podcaster and a youtube i mean he's just like he's like left-wing alex jones type that's what he is right and i saw oh look at alex jones uh but what they're citing are a handful of pilot studies which were very small poorly designed and state in their own conclusions that more research is needed to determine if ivermectin can be an effective COVID treatment. Well, and also um, an, a meta-analysis as well that was based on these pilot studies. Right. And there is one study that was, there's one study that's underway by Oxford, which is not like that study's ongoing right now to look at and see, fine, let's actually look at it. Because this is how science works. You have these small pilot studies that don't have enough people. They're not... I say a super small sample sizes right. and and then if they show any kind of noise there any any signal in the noise to be like well maybe this should be something that we should study then that's when you get funding for these larger studies you don't take the small study and go well see 100% effective get this not the vaccine <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go buy this at Walmart now right so the only larger study that has been concluded and we're talking about huge doses of ivermectin doses that are potentially toxic in humans it was a pre-release publication which means it didn't go through peer review at all and it was withdrawn because of ethical concerns big surprise yes the entire introduction was plagiarized numbers throughout the data sets did not match and it had data points that were mathematically impossible so that's your best study so far that's been done for ivermectin as a covid treatment it's a completely unethical fraudulent study that got pulled well and then on top of that like i said and i i can't find it right now and i apologize but the, there was a meta-analysis done using this study as one of the key findings of that meta-analysis and that's what really pushed a lot of this ivermectin stuff over in the states because like oh wow a meta-analysis shows that there's promise with ivermectin however when that study got pulled for ethical and potential fraud reasons the guy pulled it immediately from his meta-analysis sent out a revised meta-analysis that shows that, again, there's just no good evidence that ivermectin actually helps with COVID treatments. And he had to go out and like start saying to people who are using his study, the first version of his study, for misinformation, saying, stop using my first version of this. Use my revised version. Stop it. And now he's getting dragged in the mud because people are saying that he's now... Oh, they got to him. Right. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So anyone that's trying to use studies as, like, so here's scientific evidence that ivermectin works, they're wrong. If it worked, fine. We would be using it. We use all sorts of treatments for COVID, but ivermectin has not been proven to be effective at all, and certainly not the type of ivermectin that you can go buy at the tractor supply store, which is meant for your livestock, not for human use. So yes, Fox News viewers, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Put down the horse pills. And listen to Trump. Speaking of. I gave I gave you that segue. I'd like that segue. <laughs> That's very nice. <laughs> Donald Trump 
was at a rally in Alabama last week. And he, I don't know if you listened to it. I did. He, even when he started to say people should get vaccinated, he started with, well, you need to have your freedom. Yep. We, we love it. our freedoms. We love our freedoms. From the very start, he knew this was going to be controversial. <laughs> and he tried to soft pedal it to begin with. But he he tried to push for vaccination at his rally in Alabama, and he got booed by the audience. He did, and he, he had to keep saying, "Well, I know, I know you you everybody's got to have their freedoms. Like that's your freedom to not be vaccinated. When when is that like a, a sign of I'm free? I don't have to get vaccinated. I don't know. It, it's such short term thinking. It's one of the greatest things that science and medicine have given us in the history of humanity vaccination to prevent diseases one of our greatest accomplishments as a species and somehow that is denying you your freedom well and not even that this is why we talked we talked about the freedom argument how i hate the freedom argument last week which is just great you have freedom to choose why aren't you choosing the correct <laughs> thing then and I, I heard some conversations um i think it was on pod save america about the whole trump being booed thing and they were trying to figure out whether or not the boo was legitimate if it was like a trollish boo or if it was actually like they're booing Donald Trump well they were booing the idea of people getting vaccinated right so what do you which think- is crazy I much uh, would understand people booing Donald Trump obviously <laughs> versus right. booing it's like it's even worse well again he wasn't even peddling mandates or he was just saying hey I got the vaccine you should get it too that's all he said and that's what they were booing so what do you think this means that they're even willing to boo Donald Trump over something like this well, I'll tell you what Alex Jones says it means. Alex Jones recently lashed out at Trump because of his support of the COVID vaccine. Alex Jones claims that he's being used by the deep state. Oh, really? They got to him. Really? <laughs> and he specifically said Donald Trump is being used by the deep state to promote the Frankenshot. <laughs> Which will turn people into mutants. All right. So that's all right. That's what half the country is, is listening to right now. That this shot is because remember mRNA. It's going to change your DNA, turn you into a teenage mutant ninja turtle. Which that's why everyone is. Just, I would get more if that was right. the case. So that's why we're all just crazy mutants with three arms right now. That's what the more extreme right. That's their uh, narrative behind Trump pushing for the vaccine. But I think that also is a great example of how crazy or how just insanely malleable these COVID conspiracy theories are. Even when you had Donald Trump as the literal savior of a lot of these people, they turn on him in a second when they say something that, or when he says something that they don't like. Because he's pushing the mainstream narrative. They don't like that. I don't know. It's oof. And to finish out a lot of this COVID talk, Jason, I guess I have to ask you, there's been a lot of debate amongst liberals right now about how much sympathy or empathy we should have towards people who are not getting the vaccine. Not the hesitant ones, but the the denier ones. The anti-vaxxers. What do you, do you think we should be more of a, well, all right, survival of the fist, you know, happy Darwin awards for you. Or should we feel bad for a lot of these people and get upset that they're choosing to do stuff that's just absolutely insane because of what they're being told? Well, the problem problem is it's not just about them like yeah they could all die i don't care better we'll all be better off for it they're not going to be voting and they are by the way like they are dying 
Right. But the problem is this pandemic is going to keep continuing because of them. They're not just infecting themselves and dying. They're infecting everyone in their community who might be vaccinated or might not be able to be vaccinated or whatever the case may be. And they're also taking up resources like hospital beds and ventilators from other people that may need it who are not anti-vaxxers. So if it was just in a vacuum of stupid people believe stupid things and die for it, so be it. But it's not just affecting them only. And that's the problem. So do I feel bad? Yes, I feel bad that we are still dealing with this pandemic after a year and a half and almost a year since we've had a vaccine, which is crazy. And it shouldn't be that way. I agree. So yeah, I do feel bad <laughs> that these people are still getting infected, but not for their personal safety for everyone else. And some more good news, Florida judge throws out Ron DeSantis's order prohibiting mask mandates at schools. Yeah, which we talked about before. The stupidest thing you could possibly do at this time is try to make it so that schools are legally not allowed to mandate masks. And we talked about this before with Ron DeSantis, where this there was a lawsuit that was brought on by several parents saying that DeSantis could not make mask mandates prohibited in schools because that actually would violate their own child's health and safety. Right. His big contention is that there is a provision in the Florida state constitution that says that parents are allowed to decide medical issues, medical treatments, whatever. They make medical decisions for their children. But that ignores the rest of that law, which states that school districts are allowed to take actions that are reasonable and necessary to achieve a compelling state interest. And I would certainly make the argument that stopping the spread of a deadly disease is a compelling state interest. Well, so did Judge Cooper as well. He also did say that the guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are, quote, reasonable and consistent with the best scientific and medical opinion in this country. So good. Like, our sane judge in Florida just don't get this very often. Yeah, this was a a crazy overstep of a governor's authority. And for what? To what end? It's so ridiculous. It's political. The only reason why the census is doing any of this is because it's political. And because he wants to run for president in three years. Yes, 100%. And apparently... Apparently, if you want to be the Republican, like, let this sink in. If you want to be the Republican nominee for president in the United States, you have to be against preventing the spread of a pandemic. You have to be anti-vaccine, anti-mask. That is insane. Well, and in many cases, like election conspiracists as well. Yeah, And also that the election is rigged, except when you win. And finally, we're going to come back to Wisconsin and talk about how the Waukesha School District, very close to us made national news recently and we are in waukesha county currently but not in the waukesha school district neither one of us has kids though anyway but the waukesha school district has become the first district in wisconsin to opt out of a free lunch program why would they do that if students and their parents rely on the free meal program you know to live yeah uh, then they might become spoiled and dependent oh really we would prefer they starve which is the most Waukesha thing to ever exist. Waukesha being a very mixed area where you've got an urban center of Waukesha, which is highly diverse 
and lower income, and then some of the richest areas in Wisconsin on the suburbs and outer areas. Other than rural areas as well, too. Yeah. According to an article by the Washington Post, the board voted on June 9th to return to the pre-pandemic National School Lunch Program, which offers free and reduced-price lunches to students who apply and receive federal money for them. Waukesha is the only eligible school district in the state to eschew from its funding. And this means that they have to apply and qualify. They have to meet certain income requirements to qualify for the reduced or free lunch program, whereas under the pandemic version that Waukesha, that Waukesha opted out of, you didn't have to apply, you didn't have to meet any special criteria you could just get free lunch pretty much as it should be honestly everywhere at least for public schools so what were their reasonings behind doing this well president of the school board joseph como jr has stated as we get back to whatever you want to believe normal means we have decisions to make i would say this is part of normalization kids not eating yeah kids starving that's the normal again that sounds very waukesha to me <laughs> and also, we're not getting back to normal, even if you want to just go by what's going on with the pandemic right now. We're not normal at all right now. We're, it's getting back to the worst parts of the pandemic. So hopefully they can reverse this decision. But we also had a Karen at the meeting. Different kind of Karen with an I in. It's still a Karen. <laughs> Karen Rajnasek, a school board member, said the free program made it easy for families to become spoiled. And Darren Clark, assistant superintendent for business services, said there could be a slow addiction to the service you, you, addiction you, you, you want to weed kids off of the food you want to make sure they don't get addicted to it but i think this is another great example of showing how divided we are when looking at institutions and our funding and investments into our own communities well i guarantee you like i said the people that are against this 100 probably don't need it are yeah the ones that are in the wealthier areas and they don't care about the kids and the parents that come from the less well-off parts of waukesha the but they that. could also benefit from this. That's the whole point is that it'd be free for anyone. So if they wanted to save money of their own and say, hey, I'm going to send my kids and get their own free lunch program, they can do that. But what's the thing is, what's $5 a day to those people? Nothing. So they don't care. To them, that's that's just people mooching off the system. If $5 is nothing to me, then I don't, I don't have any empathy for anybody else who $5 a day is the difference between you know them being able to eat or not. And that's what it boils down to is empathy and putting yourself in somebody else's position. And there might be families that like kind of what you're getting at that can afford lunch, but would be better off if they didn't have to pay for it. Like, yes, they'll sacrifice so that their kids eat, which is great, but they could do things like buy school supplies for their children instead or clothes or fix something that's broken at home. You know, anything they, they could use that money and have have slightly better life if it was available and they those are the people that probably are not qualifying for this program anyway because of income level so then the program that they went back to which has requirements and conditions correct so yes the kids that are like they literally would not eat if not for this they could probably still qualify but as we know there is a stigma attached to that where a lot of kids or parents just for pride's sake because they have to apply for this program and prove that they don't meet these income requirements might not do it well and there are even examples 
examples in this article of kids saying, yeah, my kid wouldn't get lunch because he didn't want to be seen as poor. Right. Whereas if you have a program that everyone just gets free lunch, then everyone can just take advantage of it. Right. There's no point. And again, sure, for the rich douchebags out there who don't care at all and want to give their kids the best meal that they can afford, I don't give a rip. If you want to give your kid lobster for lunch, go for it. I don't care. Well, imagine if we're just a general middle class family. Like I grew up middle class. As did I. Right. Could you imagine how much better our parents' financial situation would be if they didn't have to cough up like four or five bucks every day for lunch? And that was just included in the tuition with the school and general taxpayer dollars? That'd be amazing. Yeah, these these wealthy families, honestly, they could pay for everyone's lunch and wouldn't ever notice it. And that's what should be happening. Right. And that's where I'm saying there's such a weird divide that we have in this country where we're so worried about being seen as better than our people. There's like plenty of studies out there that show that unfortunately lots of conservative white people in this country care very dearly about um, sustaining hierarchy in this country. And they're going to actually hurt themselves in the process just to keep that hierarchy in place. And this is a great example of that where you have people who could definitely benefit from all these universal programs, but they refuse to do it because they want to keep other people down. And in this case, they want kids to starve because they want to feel better than those kids and then those families. So there was a rally set for yesterday to protest this decision. I did not see, I was at at work during the middle of this, so I did not see any pictures or anything from this rally that said they were expecting about 100 people. uh, And I hope that they were able to make their voice heard, especially since I I believe most of those decisions came from June when, again, it looked like the pandemic was slowly coming to an end. But now that we're back into a resurgence, hopefully this decision will be revisited and will be overturned. That was really a productive segment, wasn't it? It's hard to get any word in with this clown. A couple weeks ago, the U.S. 2020 census data was recently released, sending many questions into how the U.S. was going to redistrict in the upcoming years. Several political analysts scurried to find their own takes about what was going on and how population levels rose and decreased based on where people lived and where people moved. And we're going to kind of break that down today just and discuss where we're going to go from here based on these new numbers. This, of course, controls the numbers in the House of Representatives, so it's very important for the future of Politics. So let's start with the general population numbers themselves. As expected by probably most of you, populations in metro areas increased pretty decently since the 2010 census. Um, the data shows that actually people living in metro areas increased by 9%, which now brings them to a total of 86% of the total population which now lives in metro areas. Now that's not a super big increase since the last 2010 census numbers, which were 85% of the total population living there, but still a decent amount worth considering. And of the 384 U.S. metro areas, 312 of them gained populations between the 2010 and 2020 years. On the contrast of that, you actually saw a big decline in rural areas. And this is the general brain drain that we have been talking about for the last several weeks now, if not months, where people are moving out of the rural areas, going more to more populous or in even suburban areas, because there are just not as many resources in those rural counties. That's why we need the infrastructure bill. Right, exactly. And this could have a ton of different types of consequences where it was general infrastructure funding, 
or representation or even just school funding as well, where because they have less people, they can collect less money and therefore their schools are suffering because of it. There's also a lot of data out there that shows that U.S. population correlates pretty well with how conservative a district is. The less population people have in a district, the more red they are. What's good news about this new census data is that there's actually a lot of growth in racial and ethnic diversity. Multiracial identification actually increased by 276% since the 2010 census. Now, while that may sound super shocking to you, I wouldn't get too crazy about it. That gigantic jump was mostly because there was new survey tools put in place in this year's census that made it actually a lot easier to identify as multiple racial and ethnic categories. So where you can have people who are both, you know, black and Hispanic or generally, you know, um, Hispanic and Asian, whatever it may be, you have lots of type of biracial or multiracial people who are now identifying as such in the census. Conversely, white populations actually have decreased by 8% since 2010. And we're actually seeing a pretty downward trajectory for white people through the last 20 years. Since 2000, 69.1% of the population identified as white. That decreased in 2010 to 63.7% of the total population. And now we're actually under 60% in 2020 with 57.8% now identifying as white. Tucker Carlson just fainted. No kidding. The white replacement is here. Beware. Black populations actually stayed relatively stable throughout the last 10 and 20 years, remaining around 12.1%. It went uh, 12.1% in 2000 to 12.2 in 2010 and then back down to 12.1 percent in the latest 2020 census and actually the two categories that really increased were hispanic and asian populations for hispanic populations they rose from 16.3 percent in 2010 to 18.7 percent in 2020 and they're actually now if you haven't seen the news about they are now the largest ethnic group in california asians were actually the fastest growing racial group in the country with a 30 5.5% increase. And that allowed that was actually attributed to the multiracial identities that we were talking about earlier, where in 2000, they were only at 3.6% of the total population, which then rose to 4.7% and now up to 5.9% for only identifying as Asian or 7.2% when combined with other racial identities, which is a pretty big leap. So you would think that would be extremely good news for Democrats, correct? Typically, yes. However, not many have actually seen that when they heard about the apportionment numbers or the states that actually lost or gained seats in Congress. So states that are gaining representatives due to the census data, Texas actually gained two seats. It's the only state to have gained more than one. Florida gained a seat, North Carolina, Colorado, Oregon, and Montana all gained a seat. Now, because of gerrymandering, this is very positive news for Republicans because they have control of redistricting in Texas and Florida and North Carolina. So they are going to be able to give this seats to basically conservative areas due to gerrymandering, even though those increase in populations are in ethnic groups that generally skew more liberal than conservative. So that's why this data, when you look at it as a whole, you'd think, okay, this is very good for Democrats, generally more accepting of immigrants and minorities. Policies generally line up better. The only problem is it's in mostly the South and the West, which are heavily Republican areas. So that is unfortunate. Uh, States that are losing a House seat, California, California, for the first time ever, is going to lose a seat. New York, by 87 people, mm-hmm. 
lost the seat. Illinois, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and West Virginia. Now, this is where Democrats might, if they're going to play the same gerrymandering game, could make up some of this. They have control in New York and Illinois of the redistricting process. Uh, Illinois, actually, the areas that lost are the more rural conservative areas, so it would make sense that they should lose a conservative House seat. But California, Michigan, those areas are both uh, independent control, yes. which is how they should all be. Honestly, we should get rid of this political game of districting and make it fair, make it actually follow the constituency and the makeup of the area. But the Supreme Court's already ruled that, that they're not interested in enforcing that or doing anything about it, and they're just going to leave it to the states to do whatever they want. As we talked about here in Wisconsin, where the one of the most gerrymandered states in the country, and it has made our legislature basically impenetrable mm-hmm. to be under conservative control, unfortunately. And I will say that Illinois' governor has already vocally said like they're going to make the most fair map as possible. And that should still benefit Democrats. As we stated, the areas that lost population or had a slower growth in population. Well, rural conservative areas. Correct. Yes. Because like we said before, people were actually moving to more metro areas. And that's actually why there was recently a published report from Amy Walter and David Wasserman about how this new census data was actually somewhat good news for Democrats, even though it looks like a lot of those states are gaining are usually pretty conservative and a lot of states are losing house seats are pretty liberal. There is currently a lot of worry from Democrats right now because as of right now, there are only five seats that need to be lost for Republicans to take control of the House again. In fact, early on, David Wasserman said several different times that just by redistricting alone that Republicans could actually get those five seats back. Now, this was before the data came out, but this was just based on the models that he had at the time. But now that this new data has come in, it actually led them to believe almost the opposite. The good news is that there was an actual increase in Hispanic and Asian populations that was actually on par with population models leading up to this census process. So this fear that Hispanic populations would actually be undercounted in urban areas because of the politicization of what Trump did with the survey. I don't know if you guys trying to that. get the citizenship yep, exactly. question added. That didn't happen, which is very, very good. Also, this move to more urban areas makes it actually much harder for Republicans to gerrymander the states because it gives them less leeway on how they can actually move people around or draw lines around certain people. You're going to have cities and metropolitan areas just have straight up more representation because of how the census data looks today, which is good. Again, that's very, very good. The problem is, like Jason said, many of the states that have these issues are in Republican-led legislatures. So in many of these states, you're still going to have legislators who are going to try to gerrymander if they so choose to. There's also a lot of speculation on whether or not they're actually going to do such a hard gerrymander or whether they're going to actually follow precedent or not, because we've seen in the past that gerrymandering has led to some severe backlash. And especially now with gerrymandering being on the forefront of everyone's mind, it's going to be even worse if they try something harsher today. I'm not so sure I agree with that analysis, J- 
just because with the conservative majority Supreme Court, I don't know what the ramifications would really be. Like, who's going to hold them accountable? The voters have already shown that they're not interested in doing it, and the Supreme Court has already shown that it won't. So while I appreciate the optimistic perspective that if they gerrymander it too much, that there would be this uprising against them we haven't seen it so far i totally agree with that especially since we've had that was i think it was two years ago where we had the redistricting supreme court decision that they just basically said it's not our problem it's a political problem which makes absolutely no sense so you're going to have republicans and gop members just try to challenge us in the courts as much as possible even when they don't have the power in a lot of these states we'll say like new york and illinois they're going to challenge them in the courts anyway because they can so yeah you're 100 right that is a definite possibility I would say there's also another challenge that's brought up in this Cook Political Report article where they talk about how because there are new ways of showing that people are multiracial, actually drawing districts in majority minority counties will be much more difficult. So if you want to actually gerrymander yourselves, it's not going to really happen that well. And even more so, we are now starting to realize that attitudes or political attitudes of these minority populations are becoming much more in line with the places that they live in. So for example, Amy Walter brought up the fact that that most Hispanics and Latinos vote for Democrats around like a 70 to 30 margin. And usually Democrats and Democratic strategists will see that as great. Sounds good. I'm not going to worry about persuasion. I'm just going to worry about actually getting the vote out in these population areas because we're going to win 70 to 30. That's not what's happening. In fact, we saw that in an earlier report down in Texas from the Texas Democratic Party where Hispanics and Latinos in rural areas actually held pretty conservative viewpoints akin to other people in that area, which makes sense. I mean, you even have black farmers and Latino farmers who are pretty darn conservative when they're living in rural areas with other conservatives. Well, most immigrants from Central and South America, a lot of them have poor experiences with socialist governments. A lot of them are very religious and that those viewpoints are very much in line with the Republican Party. If the Republican Party realizes that it's not in their best interest to keep pushing this racist agenda and like white hatred that they've been sticking to since Donald Trump became their leader, they would stand to pick up quite a lot of the Latino vote, I would suspect. Mm -hmm. But they have to make an effort to do so. That's the problem. And And they haven't. Yeah, right now their big strategy is to stoke fear in rural white conservatives that, like what we were talking about at the beginning of the census data, that they're being overrun by the immigrants. And that's what is holding back, I would guess, a lot of the Hispanic Latino vote from moving to the Republican Party. Correct. And then talking about the rural urban divide, this is kind of the last issue that these numbers really bring up, which is that even though metropolitan areas are going to become much more competitive, you have suburban areas who are going to become much more competitive and they're not going to be those Republican strongholds that they used to be. You're not going to see very strong Republican holds on rural communities because they do not have the population to actually fight back against Republicans in those areas. So when you're thinking about running in Republican areas as a Democrat, odds are that you're actually more likely to lose now than you would have 10 years ago, which makes sense because we saw the maps, at least even in Wisconsin, where you see northern Wisconsin in those rural areas just slowly shift from blue to red over time. So what do you think we can do about these numbers in these rural areas? Do we just write off rural areas as a lost cause? Do we try to encourage more millennials to move out of metropolitan areas? What do you think? I think you just stick to progressive ideals because 
because the rural areas are generally lower income. Sure. And you just stick to making life better for those people, making life better for everyone, whether or not that's going to market well to them. I, I don't know that you can do anything about that. They're, they are Fox News viewers, but you just make their life better. You stick to those ideals, which also should help keep the minority voters that you have, because that's important. They're growing, as we just talked about, they're growing faster than any other segment. But it's not because you're targeting them. It's just that your policies benefit them. Immigrants coming into the country are generally not at the top of the income spectrum. Some certainly are, but not most. And there's a lot of younger people. So I think you just stick to the populist, progressive values. Keep pushing Medicare for all. Keep pushing higher taxes on the rich. Expanding broadband. Yeah, the the infrastructure build up those areas, the rural areas that people are moving into that you know need a lot of work with bridges and roads, and then a lot of the rural areas like yeah, like you're kind of bringing up that they need broadband. That's one of the big reasons people are moving out of those areas is that everything is done on the internet. You need high speed internet. It's hard to move to a rural area when you're not going to have that connection. You can't work remotely. You can't watch streaming services because the infrastructure is not there. Correct. So yeah, just sticking to those ideals. I, I wouldn't go out of my way to try to target demographics, but that's, I mean, I don't know. I, I know that's a bit uh, idealistic, but that's <laughs> that's the only advice I can give is to just keep on that path because that's the best path forward for all Americans and for a better society as a whole. So I think you just keep pushing that. Let the Republican Party be the racist party of angry old white people and just keep pushing your message of acceptance and diversity and inclusion and prosperity. For everyone, not just for the political donor caste. Well, and okay, you said racist. What do you think about these racial population movements over time and how we're becoming less white as a country? What do you think that means for Democrats and Republicans then? It should mean a, an increase in Democrat voters. It's not necessarily. A, it's not as, guaranteed. As a lot of people say, the racial groups are not monoliths. Yep. They don't vote as much as Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin want to say. It's not all about identity politics. But there are certain disincentives. If politicians are saying that you and your family are drug dealers and rapists that should have never been allowed to come into the country, it's kind of hard to want to vote for them. And that's the, the problem that the Republicans have, where a lot of their more popular politicians, like we're talking about Ron DeSantis wanting to run for president, mm -hmm. he just blamed the, the pandemic on immigrants coming in from the from southern border the southern border the texas lieutenant governor dan patrick said that they should be blaming the black population for their increase in covid because of their vaccine hesitancy despite the fact that they're such a small part of the population in texas that that doesn't even make any sense that's those are just racist statements made in the two areas that are growing the most texas and florida mm -hmm. so those are examples if the republican party continues to be that 
the racist party pandering to their white conservative base, the Democrats don't really have to do anything to market at racial groups because the Republicans are already doing that work for them by pushing them away. They need to just make it clear that they're not going to follow. They're not that party. That yes, as many times as the Republicans want to push this narrative that they're the party of Lincoln, that the Democrats are the party of slavery, which is true, Mm -hmm. but it's changed over the last 150 years. They're Republicans and Democrats purely in name, not in the ideals from those times at all. It's completely flipped. Right. They just need to keep going along that path. Keep appointing people to cabinet and leadership positions from those groups that are racial. It's the right thing to do. It's best for the country and it shows that you're not just pandering. Because pan- people understand when they're being pandered to. And they hate it usually. Yes. So embrace politicians coming up from we should see that like if hispanic population is becoming a greater percentage of the u.s population and white is becoming less then you should see that in representation so you should see more people running for office from those groups and less white people as a percentage correct well that's what the democratic they should push that correct and also just general initiatives to encourage more people like those to get involved like so for example our state party was offered to have a program set up to specifically reach out to Latino voters in, in usually low voter turnout areas. And there are people within the state party that are willing to do this and to make this program happen. Now, based on these census numbers, that seems like the smartest thing to do. We should have more movements to initiate these types of programs to get more Latino voters involved, to get more people involved in politics and government from these diverse backgrounds because they're just becoming a larger portion. That's it. That's just straight up what it is. Because if we don't do that, we're going to lose ourselves. And I think not only did you say that Republicans are pushing people away, that's kind of their big thing right now, but also what Republicans and conservatives are doing is doing the how both parties are bad approach, right? Where, sure, the Republican Party's bad, but the Democrats aren't your friends either. They just want you to vote for them because you're you know, not white. And they're not incredibly wrong with that depiction either. So it's going to be up to Democrats to actually stick a hand out and really make an effort to reach out to these people to make sure that they actually actually learn what these issues are and to learn about who cares about them in government. Well, and become the diverse party that you say you are. Right. And like, hold to those ideals. With the Democratic primary for president in 2020, who was left at the end? All of the Latino, black, female candidates were the first ones to go. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, we ended up with Joe Biden. Oh, well, we ended up with two old white guys. Right. So it's those types of things. You can't just say that you're the party of minorities while everyone that is in any position of power is an old white guy the the demographic that's you know falling the the fastest you have to actually be a diverse party you want someone to vote for your candidate have your candidate be from their communities they're much more likely to vote for someone that speaks for them and not just someone who wants their vote so I think to close this whole thing out, we have three main takeaways. Number one, America is becoming more diverse as a country, which is a good thing. We're becoming less white overall, and people are identifying more and more as multi 
biracial, which is good. Number two, the urban-rural divide is becoming ever more intense and stringent and is going to continue to be a real problem in the future for both Democrats and Republicans, where you're going to have a vast minority of people hold vast amounts of power. And number three, the magic number is five. There are five seats that Republicans need to win in the House of Representatives to gain control again. And even though these numbers and the way these population shifts happened still means that it's going to be harder to gerrymander these areas, that doesn't mean that's impossible. And it kind of just depends on how far Republicans are willing to go to make that happen. And we've seen them go farther for much less. We've talked about a lot of that already today. So get ready. We're going to have a big battle coming up very soon about a lot of redistricting maps. You're going to see a lot of news stories and a lot of court cases coming out of it. Stay in the know about all of this. Keep on it and hold your representatives accountable. Whether they're Democrat or Republican, let's get rid of gerrymandering. And this is our time to do it. Otherwise, we have another 10 years to wait again. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ThinkProPod. You can email us at ThinkProPod at gmail.com. And remember, when in doubt, think progressively. And on today's episode, we discussed the recently released census. Ah, fuck. And on today's episode, we discussed the recently released census data. That's a lot of S sounds in that thing. Jesus Christ. One more time. Stay in the touch. There. Nah, stay. Stay in the touch. Yeah. I, nope. Don't do that. To finish out. <clears throat> Let me try. <clears throat> uh,